praise God for the ministry of song and praise that has already gone forth. And may the Lord continue to um, just draw our hearts to him. And may we sit at his feet to learn of him as the word comes forth. At the foot of the cross, where grace and suffering meet, you have shown me your love through the judgment you Yes, you won my heart, Jesus. Now I can trade these ashes in for beauty. And wear forgiveness like a crown. Coming to kiss the feet of mercy. Oh, I lay every burden down at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, where I am made complete. You have given me life through the death you bore for me and you won my heart yes you won my heart Jesus now I can trade these ashes in for beauty and wear forgiveness like a crown coming to kiss the feet of mercy oh i lay every burden down at the foot of the cross coming to Kiss the feet of mercy. Oh, I lay every burden down. Oh, we'll lay every burden down. Oh, we'll lay every burden down at the foot. Amen. There was a Christian woman by the name of Monica who was given away in marriage to a very violent, tempered man. They married and ended up having three children together. Monica was a, a devout Christian. She was a, a God-fearing woman who was noted for her patience, but also well-known and noted for her praying. 
Even though she had an unbelieving husband and three unbelieving children, she would not give up in praying for them. In fact, she, she persevered, and by God's grace, she was able to see her husband come to faith in Jesus about a year before he died. Not only that, by God's grace, she was able to see two of her three children come to know Jesus as Lord. But a third child, the son, that was a, another story. It took 17 years of, of hard prayer, 17 years of, of tears before she finally saw him come to the Lord. In fact, during those 17 years, she not only prayed, but she actually stalked her priest. She would go to her priest day after day and say, would you please pray for my son? He's an unbeliever. Would you, would you please remember my son throughout the day and, and pray for him throughout the day because he doesn't know Jesus? Would you, would you please? In fact, she begged them so much that they started avoiding her and ignoring her. They would see her coming and they would go in the other direction. So finally she went to a bishop and she said, Bishop, you know my son is not saved. Would you, would you please pray for my son? And, and the bishop responded to her by saying, listen, it is impossible that a, a son of so many tears will remain lost. He said it's impossible. The bishop's words proved to be true. And, and God answered the prayers of Monica and he, he saved her son. A bishop by the name of, Milan, of, of Ambrose from Milan came up to her son and, and took an interest in her. And he began to pour his life into him. And, and by God's grace, her son came to know Jesus. Her son is a, a well-known Christian. In fact, some would argue that he is probably one of the most well-known Christians of all time. His name is Augustine. Augustine's mother, Monica, had faith in God's grace and, and she believed that, that despite the problems, that if she just continued to persist in prayer, that God would save her son. There's some mothers here. There's some grandmothers here. There's some fathers here. There's some children here. There's some siblings here who, who has someone on their heart that you are, are constantly praying for. Constantly thinking about, constantly interceding for, praying, saying, Lord, would you, would you please save this person? Would you, would you please bring this person and allow them to know you? And you wonder if your prayers are falling on deaf ears. You wonder if God's grace, maybe, if it's sufficient to save this person. You, you find yourself sometimes being discouraged and you, you find yourself wanting to, to give up on prayer. Maybe you stopped praying for that person two years ago because you kind of just figured that, that maybe it would work itself out. Today, I want to ask you the question. Is, are you willing to persevere in prayer? Even if it means for your lifetime for a person. In fact, let me ask you another question. If, you're, if your pastor 
was to come up to you and, and start a conversation with you. And, and in talking to your, your pastor or your spiritual leader, if in the midst of that conversation, that person discouraged you for praying for that person that's on your heart, would you still persevere in prayer? Pastor, spiritual leader, that's too easy. Let me ask you another question. If Jesus, if Jesus was to discourage you in prayer, Would you stop praying for your lost loved one? Or do you have an attitude that says, I believe that God's grace runs downhill. And I believe that that God is able to save anyone. And I believe that God is gracious enough to save. What would it take for you to give up on prayer? What would it take for you to give up on praying for the one that you Deeply love. As we look at this passage, we will see that this arguably is one of the most shocking passages in all the Bible. Because Jesus here deals with a woman who comes to him with a request and it appears that he denies her. It appears that he just shuts the door in her face. But we will see in this text that this woman refused to take no for an answer. And she persisted because she believed in the depth of God's grace. So let's look at this text and let's dive in. As we look at verse 24, we see that it says, And from there he arose and went away to a region of Tyre and Sidon. And the question that we have to ask as we read this verse is, What in the world is Jesus doing in Tyre? The average Jew, when they picked up this and and as they were thinking back on the ministry of Jesus, they understood that this verse was very shocking because Tyree was a very scandalous place. Tyree was a place that a Jew should not be found in. Tyree was the birthplace of Jezebel. Tyree was a place that was scorned by the Old Testament prophets, specifically Ezekiel and and Zechariah. They both said that Tyree was was full of of greed and was a nasty place. Tyree was, 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 was a place where the Gentiles came together in the Mecca, uh, uh, Mecca being revolt. And they, they, they came together and they began to persecute and even kill Jews. Tyree was known as the pinnacle of paganism. Jews would not be caught dead in Tyree, formerly known as Phoenicia. So why in the world is Jesus... To his disciples, a Jewish rabbi, one who is supposed to stay away from unclean things. Why in the world is he in Tyree? Well, I believe that there's two answers. Number one, the reason why Jesus is in this location that is scorned by by the Jews is because Jesus is flat out tired. He's been ministering all throughout Galilee and and, and Palestine. And he specifically has been ministering to Jews. And and they have worn him out. So the only place that he can probably go and get some rest is a place where he is not popular. So he seeks to hide out for a while in an unpopular place. But there's another reason. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see in verse 18 that Jesus is in the midst of ministering. He's in the midst of preaching. 
And as he's preaching a sermon, he, he expects that his disciples are with them. He, 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 he's listening for their amens and the nodding of their heads, but all of a sudden he realizes that they don't know what he's talking about. In, in verse 18, they came to him and he said to them, uh, in verse 17, they, they, they came to him and they asked him about what he just preached. And listen to what he said to him. He says, then, are you also without understanding? Jesus was a little frustrated with the disciples. They had been hanging out with him now for close to three years. And they've heard some of his sermons. They've heard them multiple times. And yet they're still looking like, break down what you were telling everybody else. So maybe Jesus is getting away because he wants to continue to shape the heart of his disciples as well. Maybe he, he's getting away because he, he realizes that his time is short and that he still has some pouring out that he needs to do. Now, in order for us to understand the beauty of this passage for Mother's Day, we need to understand its context. We need to understand what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. See, Jesus had just preached a sermon to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And, and, and the reason he ended up preaching his sermon was because they tried to play him. Jesus was hungry one day and and the disciples and him, they just got some food and ate. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, wait a minute. You don't supposed to just get food and eat. You're supposed to wash your hands. According to our tradition, you, you are unclean if you don't do this. And Jesus begins to, to drop some knowledge on them. He says, wait a minute. You guys got it all twisted. See, see, the religious leaders believed. They believed that the law, the Mosaic law, they believed that the rituals that Israel was doing, they, they believed that their traditions made people clean or unclean. If you keep the law, if you keep the rituals, if you keep the traditions, then you're holy. The, 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 the traditions, the rituals constituted people as holy. So they walked around believing that if they just performed right, if, if they just kept these list of rules, then they were right with God. And Jesus was trying to break it down to them. He, he was trying to show them that that's not what it means to be holy. A, a, a ritual does not make you holy. A, a law and you keeping the law is not what ultimately makes you holy. What ultimately makes you holy is, is not you going through these motions and going through these traditions, but what ultimately makes you holy is your faith in God. And if you have true faith in God, then you are going to reverence God's law and the things that he has commanded. See, they were living from the outside in. And Jesus was trying to teach them that, that, that a Christian, uh, one who follows me, is one who lives from the inside out. He's trying to teach them that holiness has everything to do with the heart and very little to do with dirty hands. So Jesus he said, I, I need to get away real quick in order to show my disciples that What's going to make them holy is not them following these rules and rituals, especially the rituals and traditions of the elders that was traditions of men, stuff that they just made up. He said, but what's going to make what's going to make you holy is you placing your faith on me. Not on your performance, 
And this has everything to do with this woman in this text. Because why Jesus is, is hitting here ministering or getting away with his disciples, all of a sudden the Bible says that he is interrupted. He's interrupted. And Jesus wants to teach his disciples something. And what he wants to teach them is that these people who live in the region of Tyre and Sidon, these Gentiles, that they can be saved too. That God's grace is sufficient to save both Jews and Gentiles. Up to this point, Jesus has just been ministering to Jews. But now his ministry is about to expand because his own people do not see and recognize that he is divine. So now he's about to expand his ministry. In fact, if you look at your Bible, something quite fascinating, you will see this in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 and around the 30th verse, you will notice a subheading. And the subheading says that Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, if you flip a couple pages over and you look at chapter 8, you'll see something interesting. You'll see that Jesus then goes on and he feeds 4,000. So Jesus was out in the heat of the day. And we are well acquainted with the story. And, and people did not have food. So there were 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. Jesus took a boy's lunch and he made a buffet out of it. He miraculously stretched it. How many of you know Jesus can make some stuff stretch, can't he? Some of you mothers know that Jesus can make some stuff stretch. <laughs> he stretches the food. He feeds a multitude. But what's interesting is that 5,000, they were Jews. This 4,000 that he feeds a chapter later are Gentiles. He's trying to teach the disciples what Peter had to learn in Acts chapter 10. That God is not a respecter of persons. That your ethnicity, your, your lineage, the fact that you were born into a family does not make you right with my father. What, what makes you right with my father is if you have a new heart and, and a pure faith that is given by my father. So as this Seraphonician woman, this woman comes up to him and he, she interrupts him. And as we look at the text, we'll see in verse 25, it says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So we see this person comes up to him and they, they fall at his feet. And the disciples would have been thinking, this person is out of order for three reasons. Number one, she's out of order because she's a woman. Women in that society... Uh, were, were looked at as second, side, second class citizens. Also, women did not, was not supposed to just approach a rabbi in that way and interact with him in that way. But a, another reason why she's out of order is because she's a Gentile. We covered that. And the third reason why she would have been seen as being out of order is because she is asking for him to heal her daughter who is demonic. Literally, who has an unclean spirit. But this woman, she presses. She presses past the stairs of the Jews. And not only does she press past the stairs of the Jews, but she presses past the stairs of her own people. Because the, her people did not like Jews. Jews were uptight. Jews were too rigid. They were too serious. 
Jews served a God that did not allow them to have fun. They, she had her own gods. Polytheistic. They worship many gods. They're, they're probably looking at this woman saying, what in the world are you doing falling down at this man's feet? A Jew, someone who is beneath you, someone who is uptight. What in the world are you doing before him? You can be in the temple worshiping our gods. You don't have faith. But it did not matter what people thought about her. She pressed past the stigmas. She passed past what, what people wanted to say about her. Doesn't it sound familiar? In chapter 5, we saw a man by the name of Jarius, a Jew, doing the same exact thing, didn't we? We saw him falling before the Lord. He was a, a religious leader. This woman is the complete opposite of him. He's religious and people see him as holy, but she's dirty and defiled. So how Jesus is going to deal with her and the way that he's going to come to her has everything to do with what he is trying to teach his disciples. Look at these words, some very harsh words. And the Bible says in verse 27, look, we at 27 already. Y'all about to go home and eat early. Y'all so happy, amen. Y'all about to beat the Pentecostals out of church. Buffet line. Let me hit slow motion. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Did you, did, you, did you just see what your Jesus said to this woman? He kind of comes off like the priest that ignored and avoided Monica, doesn't he? This is at least abrasive and at worst racist it appears he says let the children be fed first for it is not right for the children's bread to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs he called her a dog how do how do we make sense of that how do we make sense of Jesus apparently making a racist statement? Well, there's two things we need to understand. Number one, we want to understand that this term dog within their culture, the Jewish culture, and even Gentiles, this was a very familiar term. Most Gentiles knew that the Jews called them and thought of them as dogs. It's just a fact. And the reason why they're called a dog is because back then dogs weren't popular domestic animals. Meaning that most, dog, most people didn't have just dogs in their home and in their sitting space. Dogs were seen as unclean. Dogs were seen as scavengers. So a Jew referred to Gentiles as dogs 
because they saw them as unclean. They saw them as scavengers. They saw them as lawbreakers, those who did not eat the proper foods and go the proper places and talk the proper language. So they called them dogs often. But what Jesus does here is he uses a term that they have coined in a completely different way. In fact, he uses a different word. When we look at this text, he doesn't use the word dog in the Greek that would be considered a scavenger. Rather, Jesus uses a word that was popularly associated with a small puppy that was a domestic animal. So Jesus uses the word dog, a word dog, but he doesn't use it in a offensive way, so to speak. And hearing this, she would have been like, wait a minute, you just called me a dog, but you called me a cute dog. (laughs) You called me a, a good dog. So she still would have been offended, but she would have been like, wait a minute, something different is going on here. But secondly, look at what Jesus does. Not only does he call her a, 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 a puppy, a small dog, a almost acceptable family member. But he says that this, he says, let the children be fed first. Let them be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. So he doesn't say that the dogs cannot be fed. But he says, first, let me take care of my children. Let me let me break it down and speed it up a little bit for you. He says, it's not that I'm not going to minister to you and your people. But first, I must minister to the children of God, Israel. First, I I, I must take care of my own. I must take care of my disciples. See, you're interrupting me while I'm with my kids. But listen to how she responds. She responds by saying, yes, Lord. (laughs) Mothers, there are two things that make genuine faith in Christ acceptable to the Lord. The first is an attitude of humility. The second is an attitude of boldness. As you pray for your lost child, whether physical child or spiritual child, as you pray for your lost loved one, know that you must have the proper faith to move the heart of God. This woman has two elements that makes her faith genuine. And these two elements are really a paradox. She starts off by saying, yes, Lord. What is she saying, yes, Lord, to? She is saying, yes, Lord, to the fact that she's a dog. She is agreeing with Jesus's paradox. She, she, she is agreeing and she is saying, I understand that I am not worthy. I understand that I am coming to you as a Gentile. I am coming to you as one who is not clean. 
I understand that I am broken. I understand that that I don't deserve the food off of your table. What's the food off your table? I understand that I don't deserve your grace. I understand that I cannot perform well enough to move your heart. She got something that the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed. This this simple woman, this, this Gentile woman understood that her performance is not what pleases God. She understood that she could never in and of herself be good enough for God because this Jesus is a rabbi. This Jesus is clean. He is set apart. This Jesus is unique. This Jesus is divine. This Jesus is better than my gods. Yes, Lord, I am whatever you want to call me. I agree with you. When we come to God and we're praying and our hearts are burdened and we're, we're wondering about that lost child, that, that lost grandchild, we must come to God humbly saying, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you in prayer and I understand that, that you don't owe me anything. I, I understand that, that, that I cannot do enough. I cannot manipulate you. I cannot control you. I, I, I understand that, that me coming to church is, is, does not make my prayer better because I came to church Sunday. It does not make my chances to have an, a- an answered prayer better. <laughs> I, I understand that I'm a dog. When you come to God in prayer, do you come to God as a Gentile? Do you come with the spirit of this woman that says, I'm broken. I, I don't deserve anything. I'm a sinner. But there's a second part of this. And the second part is her boldness. She is humble. She is broken. But she is bold. For it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs, Jesus said. But she answered him, yes, Lord, I agree with you. I am a sinner. That is the first element of, of true faith or, or evidence. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Confess with your mouth. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. She uses this Jesus' own paradox to prove her point. She comes boldly And humbly to Jesus. And she says. I know that there's enough grace for me. She says. Now Lord using your paradox. I know that if you are feeding. If someone is feeding their children. That there are normally crumbs that comes off the table when the children are eating. And the puppy gets the crumbs. If I'm a puppy like you say I am, even though I'm not worthy to sit at the table and I'm not one of your children, I'm still in your household. And, and you still would take care of me as a puppy. She, she comes to Jesus boldly. And why does she come to Jesus boldly? Because she has faith 
in the grace of God. She has faith in the mercy of God. She has faith in the compassion of God. And why does she have faith and mercy in the Jews, God, or, or Jesus? Why does she have faith and compassion, uh, uh, faith in his compassion and his mercy? She has faith in his, his mercy and compassion because she has heard that he is merciful and compassionate. Your, your child may be in the street, mother. Your child may come to church, but you may know that they're not saved. Your child could be the worst of sinners right now. Your, your child can be a, a hell raiser. You, everyone else can give up on your child. But I want to encourage you to be like this woman. And say, yeah, I know my child is back at home demon possessed. But I know that you're able to do something about it. I know that everyone is looking at my child and my grandchild like they are crazy. But Lord, I know that you are able to do something about it. I believe in your grace. I understand that I'm, I'm not saved because I'm all that. I understand that my religion is not what saves me. My discipline is not what saves me. I understand that what has saved me is your grace and your grace alone. So there needs to be this paradox in prayer. There needs to be humility as well as boldness. If it's any other way, it will not work. If a person is bold but humble, it's not genuine faith. Meaning if this woman had came to Jesus and said, I'm here, I disagree, I am not a sinner. But I'm humble in that I'm in despair, Jesus would not have been pleased. It can't be bold and humble. It must be humble and bold. You must see yourself as broken. You must see yourself as undeserving. But then you must see the magnitude of God's grace. You must see the magnitude of your sin, but the magnitude of God's grace. You must conclude that I am the worst of sinners, but God is the best of gods. You must conclude that my sin is incredibly dirty and filthy and I am nasty and disgusting. But God is so good and so great that I have a right to come before him because he has made me clean. It has to be both. You can't find your confidence in yourself and then not be confident in God. You know, some of us, we are, are humble and we see ourselves in this light, but our, our, our problem is is that we don't have enough trust or faith in the grace of God. We're broken. We see ourselves as sinners, but we stay there. We know that we fall short, but we stay there. This is what John Newton said to a, a depressed man. He says, you say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, but also too low of an opinion of the person and work and promise of the Redeemer. You complain about your sin, but when I examine your complaints, you are so full of self-righteous unbelief and pride and impatience that they they are little better than the worst evils you complain of. See, not coming to Jesus humbly would have been self-righteousness like the Pharisees. But not coming to Jesus, having faith in his grace, would have been, been 
self-righteousness as well. Because you still have an attitude that says that only if I was a little better, then will I be good enough to be loved by you, God. See, Jesus's blood, his his life, his 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 death, his 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 cross, his his resurrection. Tells us that when he died, we died, when he rose, we rose and we now receive his righteousness. We are justified. Justified. It means that we appear before God just as if we had never sinned. Now, sometimes when we hear people say that, we, we get the wrong idea. So here's an illustration of that. I want you to imagine that you have a whiteboard. And I want you to imagine that we put this whiteboard around your neck. And on this whiteboard is every single sin that you have ever committed. But God says, I'm going to wipe away your sins. I'm going to cleanse this whiteboard, which is full to a brim. I'm going to erase it. And we will say, yes, I'm clean before the Lord. But that's not an accurate picture of justification by faith. Because if we say that that's what it means to be justified, that we just appear before God as if we never sinned, then in the next second, we're going to sin again. And by the end of the week, our whiteboard is going to be full again. But a picture of the gospel says that God takes our whiteboard and he doesn't just erase it. He erases it and then he takes it off of our necks. And then he puts a new whiteboard on. But the whiteboard is not our whiteboard. The whiteboard belongs to his son. And every time we stand before God, we stand before God as a people broken, as a people who have sinned. But we also stand before God as a people who are declared righteous by God because of his son. So that no matter how sinful I am or no matter what I have done, God sees me through his son. This woman understood a deep theological concept without ever stepping foot in a synagogue or or hearing Jesus proclaim it. Why? Because she just had faith that he was who he said he was. And that's what God is looking for. Some some people who just will have faith that God is who he said he is. Some people who will come to God and say, God, I am broken. I am humble. But God, your grace is sufficient. Therefore, I can come to you respectfully and say, now, Lord, even though I'm a, a puppy, even though I'm a dog, even the dogs get the crumb off your table. I just want to speak to some real quick. I, I want to speak to my, my single mothers who are here today, who are oftentimes, even in the church, made to feel uh, 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 very insecure. And sometimes you walk through the church doors and you feel like other people are judging you because maybe you've went through a divorce or, or maybe you had your child out of wedlock. And, and you come through the church doors and, and, and you, even as you celebrate Mother's Day, maybe sometimes you just feel a little incomplete. I want to encourage you to see the compassion of Jesus and to see that what other people think of you and what other people say about you, it don't matter. Because when you stand before God, God sees that whiteboard and God sees a woman who is, is on a mission And that mission is to raise her child in the fear and admission of the Lord. 
God sees as he saw this woman, a woman who was, even though she wasn't worthy, was far more worthy if it was a marriage system than the Pharisees and the Sadducees because at least she believed and understood who he is. I believe that God is still in the business of raising up some strong males, some God-fearing, God-believing, Bible-believing men from single women. I believe that God can raise up some Timothys through some, through some Eunices. I, I believe that even though you struggle and even though you find yourself in despair, I believe that if you get this paradox of humility and, 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 and boldness right, that you will be able to see that, that everything is going to be all right. And the wonderful thing about it is you really don't have to do a whole lot to have that paradox going. You don't have to go to God and say, Lord, I wonder if I'm being humble and bold. Lord, Lord, am I being humble and bold? No, all you've got to do is go to God and say, I know you're going to work it out. Because if you're God's child, then then God is working out something in you. He is shaping you. The Bible says he is conforming you to the image of his son. He is making you to look more like Jesus. Y'all don't mind if I just preach for a minute and I promise I'm going to sit down. Let me explain what that means. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. Which means that Jesus is both bold and humble or humble and bold. He is the perfect mixture of gentleness and yet boldness. He is the perfect mixture of what it means to to come before his father in the right way. He has an element of him that says, I'm willing to die on a cross even though I have all power. I'm a lamb. But yet he has an element that says that that I'm also a lion. I'm also going to be the one, Genesis chapter 49, who God uses to bring judgment on this earth. Jesus has that mixture. And guess what? If God is making you to look more like Jesus, that means that he is naturally through his spirit going to shape you to have a faith like a lion and a lamb. He's going to shape you to have humility and boldness because faith comes from him and faith is is shaped by him. He's, He's naturally going to conform that to you. Grandmother, I know that it's frustrating sometimes to, to watch your grandchildren struggle. I can imagine how, how hard it is to, to, to have lost grandchildren. And I just want to encourage you today to look at Jesus. Jesus throughout the gospel, he has compassion for, for anyone who is humble, but we see a particular compassion for women. And I want to tell you that Jesus can sympathize with you. Because after all, it was on Calvary's cross where Jesus was in the heat of the day. It was on Calvary when he was dying, the death that you and I deserve. It was on Calvary Calvary where he had nails in his arms and nails through his feet. It was on Calvary where his head was pierced with a crown of thorns. It was on Calvary where he was spit upon. And he was looked at as being unclean by man and even unclean by God. It was on Calvary where in the midst of having all that on him, the the burdens of of sin, he who knew no sin, it was on on Calvary that he stopped in the midst of dying and he looked at his, his disciple and he says, John, take care of my mother. Jesus has a special place for mothers that appear to be broken. For Mary was broken. Mary did not have Joseph around. It is expected that Mary had lost Joseph some time ago. Jesus knows what it feels like to be a single woman. 
He knows what it feels like to be a single mother. He can sympathize with you. And in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your insecurities, he says, girl, you come here and you ask me what you will. Know that I'm going to hear you. And know that I'm not going to waste your tears. But guess what? While he was on the cross, he did something else. The Bible says that he was placed in between two sinners. One at his left hand and one at his right hand. Both were seen as as thieves and, and, and neither one of them deserved to be declared clean. But the Bible says in the, in the midst of, of, of his suffering that, that one uh, uh, had faith in him. And, and, and one spoke out and defended him while he was on the cross. And Jesus said that, I tell you this day, uh, you shall be with my father in paradise. And, and I know that there was a mother somewhere that probably gave up on him. I know that there was a mother somewhere that probably said that boy does not have any sense. There was a mother somewhere that said, my, my, my son lived a disgraceful life. And if that mother came to faith in, in Jesus, she, she may not have ever gotten the opportunity to see her son walk through the synagogue door. She may not have gotten the opportunity to see him confess faith in Christ. But I come to tell you that one day... If that mother put her faith and trust in Jesus, that one day she was going to find her son in heaven. And when she walked through the pearly gates, she was going to respond like Monica and say, God, you truly are a gracious God. You may not ever get to see your child come to faith, but I come to encourage you to keep praying. You may not ever see your child with your own eyes come and and, and preach the gospel. But I dare you to keep praying. You may not ever see your grandchild come to faith. But I dare you to keep praying. I'm just crazy enough to believe that if you keep praying. And if you pray with the right mindset. Lord I know I'm messed up. Lord I know I'm broken. Lord, I know I don't deserve the crumbs from the table. But God, I know that you are gracious. I know that you are good. And I know that my tears are not going to waste. I dare you, mama, to keep pressing. When people are trying to doubt you, keep pressing. When they're talking about your child and telling you that they're no good, you say, yeah, but I'm praying. And you must don't know about the power of a praying mother. You don't know about how how a mother has a special place in in, in Jesus' heart because Jesus had a mother. You keep praying. And you leave the results up to God. You stay humble, but you stay bold. The writer of Hebrews said, we come boldly before the throne of grace. And I like that passage because just before that scripture, it's talking about the righteousness of Christ. And just after that scripture, it's talking about the righteousness of Christ. So he says, "Ah, you come boldly, not because of who you are, because of who I am. I, I believe, I believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe that if God burdens your heart to pray for somebody, then it's because God has a plan to save that somebody. And I don't care if everybody else is calling them a nobody. God is in the business of saving nobodies. Nobodies like Matthew, the tax collectors. Nobodies. I was a one nobody. 
and you was a nobody. But praise God, I had a, a praying mama. I had a praying daddy. I had a praying grandmama. And I had some people, even in the midst of my knuckleheadedness, that would look me in the eye and say, God's got a plan for you, boo. You can run, but you can't hide. Believe. 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 In the power of prayer. And the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are not worthy in and of ourselves to eat the crumbs off your table. But thank you for your son, Jesus, who 